Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. So let's, let's, let's begin here in Psalms 133. Everybody have your Bibles? Yes. Psalms 133. How truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. It is as precious as the sacred scented oil flowing from the head of the high priest Aaron, dripping down upon his beard. There's where beard oil was invented right there. And running all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. This heavenly harmony can be compared to the dew dripping down from the skies upon Mount Hermon, refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. For from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of life forever. I want to begin talking to you about unity. About unity. So a few weeks ago, uh, the Lord had just began sharing, actually started with Holly in a prayer meeting we were having, uh, and began just bringing this, uh, this word of unity, this, this thing of unity up into her and then, uh, then they begin seeing the word everywhere. You, has, has that happened to any of you? I, you like receive this word from the Lord and then all of a sudden it's like everywhere you look, it's on t-shirts and billboards and you're, the book you're reading and everything. It just is like the Lord is begins screaming a word. Well, that's, that's what begin happening. And, uh, and, and then we begin noticing, Amber and I begin noticing this word unity just popping up. And, uh, and so I want to speak to you about, about unity this morning. Um, last week I told you that I had a story I wanted to share about vacation, but it had absolutely no application to my message. You remember that? I figured out a way <laughs> to tell the story and make it applicable to the message. Okay. It may be a bit of a stretch, but it will work. I promise it'll fit. So a few weeks ago we were on vacation. It was Amber and I and the kids. We were in one of our favorite places, the Smoky Mountains there in Tennessee. And uh, we, were, we, we took the kids to this horseback riding ranch. And uh, we were going on this trail and the horseback ride. It's, yes, it is the same one where I saddled up the bear. You remember that from last week as well. Uh, so we were on the trail. We were on the trail and uh, we're, we're all on our horses. And we had a really terrific guide. Uh, it, he was, he was the epitome of what you would picture as a rancher, right? He had the, he had the deep Southern accent, uh, was super kind, but you could tell he could be a little rough around the edges. You know what I mean? Like really, really uh, polite, really nice, but just had a little bit of an edge to him. So, so this was our guide and we all are on our horses and the way they set up the horses, if you've never been on a, on a trail like this before is they usually put the youngest ones up front right by the guide and then they just kind of f follow back from there. So Maylee was, our was the first one riding her own horse right up by the guide, then Eden, Malachi, and then it kind of went back from there. Well, on the, on the trail, uh, it was our family and there was another family with us. And uh, they were a really sweet family. I think from Ohio, if I remember right, Illinois, somewhere around there. Uh, <laughs> one of those places. And uh, really nice. It was a mom and a dad and then, and then two teenage daughters. And so we, before we got on the horses, we were kind of all waiting in the same queue area together. So we got to talking with them and really, just really nice family. Well, we all get on the horses. We begin the trail ride and uh, our family's all up front and their family's all following behind us. The mom and the dad are, are bringing up the rear end of the, of the trail. So we're going along. Everything's going great. 
we're just riding through the Smoky Mountains. Start to notice that the mom and the, the dad are kind of falling behind a little bit. And so our, our guide, you know, trying to keep us all together, keeps yelling like, hey, you know, telling them to, to give the horse a good kick, you know, be, you know, the, to go to give him a good kick, get him up there. So, so they do that, they get up there. A few minutes later, we look back and they've fallen behind once again. And things are starting to get a little more intensified at this point in time from the mom and the dad. The mom begins panicking a little bit. Now, let me remind you, if you, if you, some of, there's many people in here, I know that own horses, ride horses and know what you're talking and know what you're doing. Well, on a trail ride like that, you think you're in control, but those horses know what they're doing, right? You could tell them what to do and they're going to completely ignore you. Those horses probably think you're stupid, right? Like they, they sense that you have no idea what you're doing and they're just going to completely ignore you. So when they're on that trail, they've walked that trail a hundred thousand times. They know what they're doing. They're going to, they're going to do what they're going to do. So it wasn't, but, but, but this woman, I don't think realized that. And so she's, she's back there. She's kind of panicking a little bit because she's beginning to realize she doesn't know how to control this horse. And of course the horse again, senses that. And so it decides to take a little break, right? So it, it wants to bend down and eat some grass and it wants to kind of go its own little way. And she has no idea how to control it. So she just begins kind of panicking. So this goes on for a little while. And, and as, as it keeps happening, we, we stop the, the, she, the tour or our guide yells back to, you know, tells her what to do. And, and then we move on. And, it, and as we do, it, it just keeps happening and things keep intensifying. And she gets a little more panicky and our God gets a little bit more upset and angry, right? Finally, our trip reaches its climax. You ready? So <laughs> they've fallen way behind by this point in time. We're stopped. We're going up a slope. We're stopped at going on the, on the slope of this mountain. And all of a sudden, we hear this ear-piercing screaming coming from behind us. Like you would have thought that the woman had fallen off the horse and the horse put all four legs on her chest. And she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs, just panicking and yelling. And, and our tour guide just, you can see in his eyes, just the fire in his eyes. And he looks back and he goes, quit your screaming. Just screams at her, quit your, like all politeness was gone. There was no Southern hospitality anymore. He was just ticked and he just goes, quit your screaming. And then he jumps off of his horse and he's walking back and he, I mean, he is ticked. And as he walks by me, he goes, my God, it's actually like she's never, never been outside before. And he's just walking back and he, he is just mad, mad. So he gets back there and he grabs her horse and he pulls it all the way up. It's like the walk of shame, right? The woman... She's just got her head down and, and she's quiet at this point. As soon as he told her to, to shut up, she did. <laughs> he grabs the horse by the reins and he leads her up all the way to the front. Now imagine how embarrassing this has to be. Unties Maylee and ties her up to his horse. He tethers her horse to his horse so that we could finish the trail in peace and quiet, right? So, so finally, after the tethering happened, all right, here's the application, the tethering together, we finally, 
You see the stretch there? You like that? They tethered her. They tethered her. To, he tethered her to his horse, and the tethering together finally brought peace to our trip, to our trail ride, and we were able to then finish the trail without screaming and yelling and all the other stuff that goes with it. So we were all to stay together. The tethering together. All right. The tethering together. It says, in, like I said, in Psalms 133, it says how good and pleasant it is when we finally reach unity. Let me tell you, it was good and pleasant when we finally reached unity in that trail ride, when they tethered that woman up to his horse. It's good and, and pleasing. It's good and perfect when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. There's something good and pleasant that happens when we are tethered together in unity. The word unity in the Hebrew, where it says that there in Psalms 133, is the word yahad, yahad. And it means together, holy, and holy as in with a, with a W, holy in unity, pertaining to being whole and in the state of oneness. How good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. What happens when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity? What happens when we reach that state of unity? Let's look in Acts. We've got several examples here. Acts chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 12, it says, Then they all returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers with one accord. You skip over to uh, Acts chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together with what? One accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them other utterance. Let's skip over to Acts chapter 4 verse 32. It says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart in one soul. Neither, neither did anyone say that any of the things he had possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And the great power, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with great grace, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone who lacked. Let's skip over now to verse or chapter five, verse 12 through 16 It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared to join them and the people esteemed them, but the people esteemed them highly and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches and at, and at least the shadow of Peter passing by them, or that at least the shadow of Peter pass passing by them, that it might fall on them, some of them. Whew, I made it. Also, the a multitude gathered 
from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So what happens when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity? We just had four examples from the book of Acts of what can happen. Signs, wonders, miracles. The Holy Spirit can come and fill a place and shake it to its core. It says that multitudes came to know salvation, came to know Jesus, because a group of people dwelt together in unity, because they were of one mind and one spirit. They are in one accord. There's a Greek word that is used there several times, uh, it's, and uh, it's the word for one accord. It is the word. I'm going to try this one real hard. Homoth uthmadon. Let me try it again. Homoth. Everybody say it with me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Homoth umadon. It means this. It means with one mind, with one passion. It gives the image of a symphony through that though they are different instruments and even playing different notes that they harmonize together and make one sound. That word one accord, it's like a symphony all playing together, that though they're individuals, though they may be playing different notes, that they harmonize together with one another, and it's as with they make one sound. So, so all of these things happen when we come together in one accord, in unity, with one passion. When we are tethered together, right? When we are tethered together with one heart, one passion, one mind. The question I have is this, what does that unity actually look like? What does unity actually look like? What does one heart, one mind, one passion look like on a practical level? You know, it tells us that they are in one accord in Acts. What does that mean? What does that look like? What is the tethering together? What is it that tethers us together that binds us together? Is it going to the same church and listening and falling asleep to the same preacher every Sunday? Is that what binds us together? Is that what they're talking about in Acts? Were they all listening to Paul preach or, Paul, or actually in Acts at that point in time, it was Peter where they were listening to Peter preach and because they all listened to the same person, they all went to the same church, did that unify them? Probably not. I mean, they probably had a certain fellowship and bond together, but I don't think that's the unity that it's speaking of here. Is it, is it maybe that they had similar interests? Maybe they all preferred the same music style or the same worship style. Maybe they had, uh, they, they had the same interest. And so that bonded them together and they were able to be in unity because of that. I think that's probably a pretty shallow way to look at it, right? I doubt it was their similar interest. I'm sure that they had different interests. They had different preferences, different things. So it wasn't even their, their, their unison on, on, on the similar interests. Could it be that they all shared, here's the big one, that they all shared the same doctrine and belief system. That all of them believed the same thing about baptism and communion. And they all believed the same thing about speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. And they all believed the same thing. And because of that belief, they were able to believe and, and agree on all of the same things that brought them together. 
I sure hope that's not the, what unity means. I sure hope that's not what unity means because if that's what unity means, we're gonna have a really hard time coming together as the bride of Christ. We're gonna have a really hard time being able to mesh together if unity in the body means that we all agree perfectly on every matter of doctrine. Now you all, I hope you understand when I'm saying that. Obviously, there are things we do need to agree on, right? Jesus is the son of God, right? His sacrifice made us whole, made us righteous. Obviously, there are points that we need to agree on. But if we have little disagreements, does that disunify us? Does that disqualify us from being able to be in one accord of one mind? I don't think it does. In fact, I think sometimes disagreement is actually the crucible of unity, of whether or not we are actually walking, it's the test of whether or not we are actually walking in true unity, that if you are able to disagree, but still walk in unity, that there's a power in that, right? So then what is it? If it's not any of those things, what is the tether? What is the thing that brings us together, that causes us to walk in unity and be in one accord? Let me read you a scripture out of Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, starting in verse two, it says, so I am asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion and united in one love walk together with one harmonious purpose and you, and you will be filled Sorry, let me say that again. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished, cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. What is the tether that binds us together in unity? It's humility. It's selfishness. But most of all, it's love. How do we dwell together in unity? How did the disciples, how did the apostles, how did they dwell together? How, does it, how did they get to a point where the Bible says they were of one mind and one purpose and one passion? How did they get to that point? I believe they got to that point because they loved each other with an unrelenting, unbounded love. That the tether that brings us together is not perfect agreement, but it's actually love. I love this statement that the Lord gave me here. It says, I, it said, he said, unity is achieved not when we agree perfectly with one another, but when, my, but when my love for you is stronger than my disagreement with you. Let me say that again. Unity is achieved not when we agree perfectly with one another, but when my love for you is stronger than my disagreement with you. I think, I think that this idea 
that this has crippled the body of Christ more than anything else. I think what has crippled the body of Christ is that we are not able to disagree with each other without departing from one another. I, I'm going to make a little bit of a bold statement. I don't believe that denominations was ever God's idea. Now listen, I love, I love every church. I love the Baptists. I love the Methodists. I love the Pentecostals. I love, I love that all of the churches of, of the Lord. But I don't believe that being separated because of disagreement was ever God's intent. That when we began, began uh, building churches because of disagreement instead of because of love, then there became a big problem. There's a big problem there. When we, when we can... Uh, when we separate because of disagreement, instead of, instead of, it's one thing to separate, to build a church, to send out like the, like the apostles did so many times, they would take somebody that they love and that they've invested in and they would send them to build a church and to build the kingdom in a region. But we don't do that. We separate because you have a different end times theology than what I do. And I think what cripples the body of Christ more than anything is that we build our churches based off of our disagreements rather than our love and our unity for one another. I don't think, like I said, I don't think denominations was ever God's intent. Although I love every one of those denominations and I, and I believe God uses every one of those churches and that his presence is in every one of those churches. I believe all of that, but I don't think it was ever his idea because I think we are, what, what should bind us is not what we agree on, but what should gather us together is our love for one another. And listen, we can talk, we can debate, we can get into the scripture together and share each other's points of view and we can disagree all day long as long as we love each other more than we disagree. That our love for each other is greater than our disagreement with one another. I guarantee you that in this room, we have differences of opinions. I guarantee we do. But as long as we love each other greater, love each other more than those disagreements, we can have the conversations, we can talk, we can debate, we can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we choose love. We choose love. Do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what the Bible says the world, how, or how, do you know what the Bible says how the world will know that we are followers of Christ? See, I, I always thought they would know because of signs, wonders, and miracles follow them that believe. I always thought, you know, they'll know that we're the real deal when we pray for them and, the, and they're healed or they're, they're, they recover. I always thought they, they, you know, we have this idea that Christians have this shine, right? Like they just know when we walk in the room, they just know we're, because we're so kind and generous. All of the, and all of those things are wonderful and great. But that's not what the Bible says that the people will know that we are followers of Christ. It says in John 13, it says they will know. Let me just read it to you. John 13, 34 to 35 says, so I give you a new commandment, love each other 
just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. That the world knows that we are Christians, not because we go to church, but because we love one another. That's why, again, I believe that us separating like we do has crippled the church so much because to the world, what they're seeing is disagreement, disunity, disjointedness, and they don't want anything to do with it. But when we, even in spite of disagreements, can love one another, then they look at that and they go, man, that's something different than I have ever seen before. That's, that's nothing like I've ever seen before. That even though they have differences, they love each other in a way that we can never imagine, that we can never have seen before, or that we have never seen before. Amen? They know you're the real deal. They know that you're the real deal because when they're around you, oh, here we go. Sorry, I forgot this part of my notes. <laughs> so they'll know that you're the real deal when they're around you and you're not gossiping about the other person. Right? They know that you're the real deal when even though other people maybe have an offense against them and honestly you have that same offense, that no ill will comes out of your mouth. That when you're at work and you're in the back kitchen or in the office and somebody is, is causing issues and everybody in the back is talking about them and everybody in the back is complaining, they'll know that you're a follower of Jesus when you shut that conversation down. How does the world, it's, it's not that you laid your hands on the sick and saw them recover. Jesus did that plenty of times and there was plenty of people that walked away. But when instead you shut the conversation down and you say, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk like that about those people. I, I love that person. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna discredit their character. That's when the world will know that you are a follower of Christ. They know you're the real deal when you have a disagreement, but you stay anyways. That when you're offended by something the pastor did, but you stayed anyways. And you worked it out because there was, there was a love that was greater than the offense. They know you're the real deal when you love one another, amen? The lost world is introduced to the gospel, not just by how well we love them, but by how well we love each other. We're great at loving the lost. At least that's what we preach all the time, right? It's that we gotta love the lost, right? We gotta love the sinner. We gotta love the, the, the homosexual. We gotta love the, the drunkard. We gotta love all of those people. And that is absolutely right. But we have to do a better job of loving one another. Because it says that it is by our love for one another that they will know that we are followers of Christ, amen? Unity is achieved not when we agree perfectly with others, but when our love for each other is stronger than our disagreement. Love is the tether for unity. Love is the tether for unity. 
I think it's interesting here in John 13 that when Jesus is giving this command, he says, this is a new commandment that I give you. Now, wait a second, Jesus. A new commandment, right? How many of you know can remember back some other scriptures, even in the Old Testament, where we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? How many of you have heard that? What is that called? The golden rule, right? Love your neighbor. It says it in Leviticus. It says it in Deuteronomy. Then you go to the New Testament. And Jesus says that the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, why are you saying this is a new commandment? We've heard this one before, right? But read the passage again. This is a new commandment I give you. And it says then, it says, love each other. So, okay, so this is a new commandment I give you. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. So Jesus changes the game on us a little bit here, right? Before the standard was love your neighbor as yourself. Now the standard is you have to love them like I have loved you. He has raised the standard on us. So not only do we dwell together in unity and we love each other, we don't love each other with the standard we love ourselves, but we love each other with the standard that Christ has loved us with. What does that standard look like? What is that standard that Christ love look like? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That even in the midst of our mess, even in the midst of our, our, our sin, even though we were still far away from God, he chose to die and sacrifice himself for us. This is the new standard Christ gives us to love each other with. That even if the other person offends you, that even if the other person you walk, you have disagreement with them, that even if they have messed up and have, have, have caused you pain, you turn around and you love them even in the midst of it. This is the tether that brings us together in unity. And unity then produces the world knowing that we are followers of Christ. And it produces things like the Holy Spirit rushing in and shaking the building. All the things you see in Acts. You know, it's interesting. That word, one accord there, that word humo something, something, something that I shared with you earlier is used 10 of the 12 times that it is used in the Bible 10 of the 12 times it is used in the book of Acts. And it's this picture. And when you look, so when you look at the church of Acts, what you are seeing this is this unity, this bond. Everything that you see happen in the book of Acts is produced by this unity that they shared with one another. And it's because they loved each other with the standard that Christ loved us with. Let's go ahead and stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray that here at Harmony Christian Church, that we would be a church united together. 
God, that we'd be a church united together. Father, that despite any differences, despite any things that we have, Father, that our love for one another would conquer all. God, that we would love each other with the same measure, the same standard that you loved us with. Father, I pray for a grace to love each other well. And Father, that we would walk in unity together. God, how delightful, how good, how pleasant is it for brothers and sisters to dwell together in perfect unity. Father, I pray that harmony would be an example and a standard set for others of what it looks like for a group of people to dwell together in unity. Father, we thank you for being our example. We thank you for being our example. And God, and we thank you for, uh, for the unity that can be accomplished, not through perfect agreement, not through similar interest, not through any of those things, but the unity that can come and be created through love for one another. Let love be our tether, Lord. Let love be what unites us and what binds us together. That because of our love, we will go to war with one for one another. Not with one another, that's the opposite. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for perfect unity. And I thank you for, again, the love of Christ that gives us the example and the standard to follow. God, we bless you and we pray this in your holy name.